Hi, this is Alicia from Bachelor in Paradise, and you're listening to Bachelor of Hearts. I'm Osher Ginsberg. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, you are on the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. Hi, I'm Georgia Love, and you're listening to the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. What do you do with an arts degree? I'm still not sure I know. I skipped three years' worth of lectures just to binge-watch awful shows. There must be some scholarship for accruing worthless knowledge. It's my only talent, honey. That and losing money. Let your excess hex debts rest and then just join us while we start on our bachelor. Bachelor. Hello and welcome back to the Bachelor of Hearts podcast, the show that asks the question. Would you like to plot out your 10-year future with me right here, right now on this gigantic vision board? Come on, it'll be fun. No pressure. Just your whole life in writing on camera like a love contract. <laughs> My name is Max Quinn. Xavier Retsky-Noonan is still away exploring beautiful, sunny Japan. So joining me on this journey through life and love is my partner in life and love, Danny O'Gay. Danny, hi. Hi, everyone. How are you? Good, good. Are we missing Xavier yet? I don't. I think so. <laughs> but come back soon. But we love you. Yeah. Now, uh, Dan, we're on location. Yeah. Um, beautiful, sunny Japan has got nothing on beautiful, sunny Wulumalu. Wulumalu, yeah. Wulumalu? We're having a little staycation, Max and I, this weekend as we record the podcast. Yep. And uh, what better way to explore all of the foibles of everything that's happened in the Batchy Mansion this week than to do so overlooking the water, staring at a gigantic military ship with the Qantas logo on it? I think that's just a kangaroo. Oh. Well, look. <laughs> We're here to unpack everything that has happened in the last two episodes of The Bachelor, season seven, and what a couple of episodes it was. Dan, we've got a lot of chat about Abby on the way. Mm. We'll also unpack everything that happened in that bizarre Eleanor date. And <laughs> yeah. we're going to watch uh, as art drag queen Simone becomes psychologist art drag queen Simone. <laughs> yeah. I wonder though, should we just get uh, should we just get on with it? Get underway with our recap of The Bachelor Australia season seven, episode eleven. Yeah, well, I have no um, grievances to air this week because I was on the podcast last week, so Great, I so good aired them as we you. went. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, if you have any more that come up throughout the show, I'm sure uh, everyone will be thrilled to know what I've done wrong this week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll keep that in mind. We begin in the mansion with a special delivery. There is a gigantic box covered in polka dots situated in the living room. What could be inside? The women's best guesses are a puppy and also something involving a group date. But in fact, it's neither of those. And instead, it's all of the ingredients for a baby shower. Mm. Balloons, nappies, gender binaries, the whole bit. <laughs> Abby says, who's pregnant? And everyone laughs. And then Emma says, yes, it's me. I'm pregnant with Matt's baby. I hijacked his DNA by swabbing him with a damp rag and I am now growing his spawn inside a test tube in my uterus. <laughs> she did not say that. What are you doing? We're watching different shows this week. Danny, have you ever been to a baby shower? Yeah. Have you thrown one? Oh, no, no. Baby showers terrify me because there's always that moment where 
you open all the gifts mm. and all the people that are already mums kind of judge the gifts of the people like myself that are not mums. You're not a mum? No. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what we're doing here. Only to our cat, Jeff. Mm. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, you wouldn't because maybe you haven't been to I've the one. I've never been to one. Um, judging on gender stereotypes. Binaries, yes. <laughs> However, basically you you get a gift which you think is like a really great gift and you're excited for the um, mum to be to open it. Yeah. And then there's just always this really weird dynamic between the wi- women that I guess have the experience of whether or not that gift is helpful. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, no, I would never give that I to would, Liam. Oh, that is deeply not useful. And you're like, oh, oh, I'm here still. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've seen and heard it all and I'm offended. And now I want to go home. That's basically how they mm. go. Enter the All-Stars because we are heralding the return of some familiar faces. Sam and Snezh are back for another trip to the mansion and Maddie J and Laura are back too. Danny, I was still a bit confused about what the go was with the baby shower at this point, but we do get the explainer that both Laura and Snezh are expecting and conveniently our bachelor Matt has an eye towards starting a family of his own Sooner rather than later. Mm. I want to be a young dad, he says, in shades of Rachel, who told us upon entering the mansion that she wanted to be a hot young bride. I'm wondering, Dan, (laughs) has he missed the boat here? Should plan A actually have been the girl with a plan B? (laughs) I love that. How old is Matt? 31. Okay. When do you want kids, Danny? <laughs> Let's just move on. I feel like Eleanor with the, <laughs> with the vision board. How frightening. So the reconnaissance task is set. Laura and Snezh will enter the mansion and select a woman to bring home to the batch pad for dinner, while Maddie and Sam will stay back and lay the advice on thick for their young, horny Padawan. Oh, I'm excited basically for this whole episode. Like at this point, I just love both of those couples. Yeah. I was basically as excited as Emma. True, um, true. I just love the alum and I love that they were both there with their partners. Yeah, the and they both like when um, they're getting introduced to the women who, by the way, just lose their shit. I know. It's like uh, literally like Oprah had turned up. Right, yeah. They're just meeting Batchy royalty and it's sort of like you're from the show, but we're from the show. So Osha is here to introduce Laura and Snezh to the hopefuls and the girls in the mansion are thrilled. Laura and Snezh are very consciously holding their stomachs as Osha explains that they are both pregnant and we are going to be having a baby shower in the most traditional sense. One in which two pregnant ladies sit down individually with six separate different women and play matchmaker for another man. <laughs> That's happened at every baby shower I've been uh, to. That makes sense. The worst part, I, so I've heard, is when you show up to the baby shower and you're being interviewed by the woman who's having the baby <laughs> about the potential for you to be a love interest for another man because <laughs> you're going to be invited to a dinner and you understand. <laughs> yeah. So Laura and Snezh interview the ladies. We get the obligatory Mandarin quote from Kristen before she's skipped over. And then we mm. largely skip through Ellie as well. Chelsea talks about her opening her struggles opening up to Matt in spite of their similarities. And Snezh weighs in saying that she quite warmed to Chelsea and that she reminds her of herself. Mm. Abby is next. She hits all the checkpoints. Three to five years. I'm flexible in my timeline. Willing to cop the foot juice. But... <sighs> Laura is suspicious that Abby might just be saying what they want to hear. Yeah. 
Back at the batch pad, the boys pass the footy around as they chat through the ins and outs of batch life. I just want to pause here to talk about the passing of the footy for a minute. I what did you make this. of this? You hated it. Talk to me. It was just so like gender normative or mm-hmm. something. Um, like they just segged away from the baby shower to like the men passing around the footy. I, I yeah, hated it. I get it. It is very like um, the women make the salad and the boys stand around the barbecue. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. This, th- th- absolutely, there is something quite um, normative about it. I didn't like that we have to couch all of our expressions of openness and vulnerability in the confines of a kick around, but also at the same <laughs> time, like, yeah. you know, I... Like, it's all fine if there's a football there. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but at the same time, like, we're still watching men talk about their feelings on the TV. Oh, right. So I'm you're like, overall, okay it's good. Yeah, it's, mm. an overall, it's an overall good uh, and normalising kind of thing. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, as part of this, Sam says, Snesh stood out to me because she didn't get caught up in any of the drama. And now, for me... This was such a telling and kind of foreshadowing quote because basically what's happening is a former batchy is explaining to the current batchy who he should choose as the winner in order to have a successful marriage and he lays out this set of criteria Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be instructional for Matt but also for the audience, right? Like what you should be paying attention to are these particular qualities in the women when we're looking for a winner and based on that, a little bit later in the show, I'm going to rule someone out of contention altogether. Wow. Were the qualities smart, <laughs> measurable, <laughs> attainable, <laughs> realistic, lives near me, funny, nice? By direct contrast, Laura pegs Sagand as someone who absolutely can't put the drama aside before we meet Eleanor, who the women describe as level-headed. They like that she's direct and honest with her answers and that she's open to connecting further with Matt. Then it's Emma's turn and I think that Laura's summer, summary of Emma here <laughs> is so true to her, her portrayal on the show. Yeah. She says she's in love with him. She seems genuine but is she in love with Matt or is she in love with Matt because she wants to be in love? Yeah, we both looked at each other when Laura said that, right? Right. We were like, oh my God, that's it. <laughs> right. It's one of those things where I mean, like... that's the question. Yeah, yeah. Like... So, yeah, this feels like one of the most likely situations on the show where representation equals reality. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see Nurse Ellie floating around in her real life 100% true to this representation of, like, crikey, bugger, here's your baby, <laughs> you know? Um, but I do see that with Emma. Right, as in you think... She's being portrayed realistically. To Yeah, to the person that she is. She's someone mm. who entered the mansion looking to and perhaps being already in love with The Bachelor. Yeah. And she has fallen more and more for The Bachelor as the season has progressed. But there was never any question about who she was or what her intentions were. Right. Um, Matt continues to pick the brains of our veterans as they continue to dish out the advice. In a nice bit of serendipity, Matty J actually says that his best bit of advice to bacheloring is to simply pick someone, which is wild because at the exact same moment, there's the distinctive rap of knuckle on wood, the chirp of a doorbell, 
And standing with a bouquet of poppies on the front porch of the batch pad is the honey badger. Aww. Oh, get out of his gown, says the honey badger, <laughs> snapping his tradey brand undies against his firm torso. Me bloody footy's on the roof, he complains, <laughs> entering without waiting to be welcomed in and helping himself to a tub of magnum ice cream from the fridge. In my bloody season, it was Hagendas. What a dog cunt, he says, setting the ice cream on the table, neglecting to use a spoon, and instead pressing his face into the container, tonguing it like he's a common sheepdog, and using his spare appendages to crack a tinny. I don't know what to do with any of that. Fucking <laughs> struth, he says, gurgling on caramel in disappointment. Bit of a bloody shame that you can't do any rooting in this place, eh? And it's at this point that the honey badger is wrestled offset by a couple of producers who sedate him with a combination of horse tranquilizers and excerpts from the dullest book known to man, The Honey Badger's Guide to Life, out now through HarperCollins. I'm going to go ahead and assume that what you're you're saying is that you think Maddie J had a bit of a cheeky double entendre there as a reference to the fact that... The honey badger didn't choose anyone. Bingo. <laughs> We're back at the mansion for Laura and Snezh's dinner date decision. And they pick Eleanor. They pick her because she thinks that she could be a great match for Matt because she was straightforward and relatable. And this surprises all of the boys for different reasons. Matt says that he just doesn't know where his connection with Eleanor is at right now because she hasn't been opening up. And Matty J says that at 25, he didn't know who he was or what he wanted. So I want to pause here and ask you, Dan. Eleanor says that she's having trouble opening up and we learn that she's never been rejected before, surprise, surprise, and also has never had her heart broken. Do you agree with where Maddie J is coming from here? I just think people are ready for different things at different times. I don't think you can really talk about age when you talk about when is the right time to get married or have babies. I mean, that's really interesting because there's lots of different statistics out there about... Um, divorce rates and, you know, over 50% of marriages ending in divorce and it's something like 80% if you're married before the age of 30. Right. But at the same time, you know, like there are all of these success stories, particularly within this show, and uh, if you look far further and further and further back in time, you know, everyone's grandparents were together, it feels like, for better or for worse. Mm. Um, and maybe it's a comment on our increasingly, like, modernising society that, at 25, yeah, you can still be living at home and doing whatever. Yeah. But Eleanor seems like she's someone who, as she says, is pretty well-traveled, mm. has dated around, and is kind of ready to enter that next phase of her life. Yeah. It's now time for Maddie J to drill Eleanor with the hard questions over dramatic piano. Such <laughs> as, when do you want to settle down and have a family? Are you ready for that? And can we do your birth chart, babes? <laughs> <laughs> this is really to emulate the kind of questions that we want answered, but don't always get answered on the hometown dates. And it also creates a bit of tension for Eleanor to diffuse. Yeah, it was kind of, the situation was quite similar to like a hometown. Right. Except Eleanor didn't have anyone there for support. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, So Eleanor describes the situation as hectic uh, and the other five dinner guests watch on and try to get her to open up. It strikes me as really weird and contradictory exactly as you're saying like on the hometowns Mm -hmm. you're leaning on your whole family but how do you open up to your tv boyfriend while two other tv couples watch on yeah i mean if you're having trouble opening up to one person Mm. i don't understand how that's going to be improved by inviting 
two couples right. that you've never met. Through this process. And now there's five people in the room. Who are like, come on, <laughs> yeah. open up. Sam is even <laughs> like, my best advice to you is open up as quick as you can. You know? <laughs> and it's good advice, but also it puts the pressure on Eleanor and she becomes more and more skittish throughout uh, the rest of these couple of episodes. Yeah, and quite fair enough, I mm. think. We're now on another date as Matt is standing by the ocean in a denim shirt, chino shorts, and maybe also smoothly shaven legs. <laughs> yeah. I love that you paused it here because you were like, what? Look at you the definition really in his You really investigated it. Yeah. yeah. He's got really, really smooth and strong legs. Is he a cyclist? Maybe. You know how that makes you oh, go yeah, faster aerodynamic. or something? Mm. I've read about it, but I'm not sure if it's true. So we're waiting for Emma to arrive because it is a chocolate aphrodisiac date. Similar, actually, to the other food aphrodisiac date that Emma went on this season with Matt. I wonder a little bit if it's a stitch-up, you know, like they're putting Emma on these aphrodisiac heavy dates because she is the most expressively in love and it makes for great TV. Yeah, it does. Mm. So they're making their own chocolate and there's some fun stuff here with a temperature gun. Oh, <laughs> Fun stuff? I or think it's fun. Weird stuff. Ah, uh, look. Matt notes that Emma is hotter than chocolate, um, which Emma takes as a huge compliment, but also seems to be a pretty straight scientific observation for a food that is designed to be solid at room temperature. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was weird that that was a compliment. What was weirder was when she took the temperature of Matt's bottom. Yes. What is with this? It's so strange. It was just so weird. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, the <laughs> chocolatier who was there to like teach them stuff disappears. Yeah, because it's like, this is getting weird. Yes. I would get out of here too. Yeah. <laughs> and the naughty accordion music starts. It's one yeah. of my favorite themes on the bachelor where you get the weird instrument doing the like jaunty as she's testing the temperature of matt's derriere um so matt seems to be really into emma but the show has done such a good job of convincing us that she's really deeply in love with him like and was from day dot that i can't take her prospects seriously Right? Yeah. Like on some level, does it present to you as a weird joke? Yeah. I guess the whole scene is presented as a com- comedic scene. Right. Whereas really this is someone spending time with someone that she's really interested in and hoping to be with. A hundred percent. Like she's being really genuine yeah. and she truly likes him. Um, but the show is passing it off as so over the top and it's easy to make jokes about. Right. Yeah. Um, it because like, who is that in love um, s- straight away? But maybe Emma is and maybe she's the kind of person who just is ready for it and knows that this is the sort of man that she wants, right? And exactly. When we talk about – I've got a couple of examples later of this. Like we talk about the show being, you know, kind of manipulative with the edit. Like mm. for example with Kristen – who, uh, spoilers, gets voted out at the end of the next episode. Yeah. And maybe we should talk a little here about what happened with her Vogue interview. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I was reading and basically she was saying that she felt that she'd just been asked by producers to say things in Mandarin Mm. and then that it had been edited together in a montage. I'm paraphrasing her there. Um, But you could see how that could could happen and I guess lends itself to 
making you think about what other things we might be right. receiving an edited version of, which yeah. I guess is probably maybe all the things Emma has ever said right. about Matt and then exactly. all because at once it, it makes her seem very, very full much. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It lends itself to a real comedic beat. Yes. Of course we hear her saying things like, the chocolate kisses were delicious and Matt is such a wonderful man and I am ovulating. <laughs> you, but do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's this thing where the show enters with really um, different intentions to that which the women have, you know? Yeah. Like I think the women probably are expecting to be edited in good faith and when you are the type of person who is cast to be an archetype on this show, mm. um, Emma is the furthest that one of these like quote unquote clinger archetypes has gotten other mm. than maybe Cass. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, it's interesting to watch how they portray this kind of archetype. Yeah. So they have a very honest chat on a batchy couch. Emma says she wants kids two or more. And Matt says that he wants to start a family soon too. It seems like they are aligned in terms of their goals and values and it's clear that Matt appreciates her straightforwardness. Unlike some of the other women, Emma has no problems opening up and I think on this show there's really something to be said for that, right? Yes, but then that bothers me because... Talk to me, why? Well, because he his, a lot of his criticism, for want of a better word, about other women are that they're not opening up. Right. And then he's got Emma, who is opening up, and it's edited into, like, a comedic scene of, like, yeah, yeah. take the temperature of my bottom with <laughs> this chocolate thermometer. Like, you know? Ah, <laughs> uh, Danny. I mean, our first date, I also took the temperature of your bottom with a chocolate thermometer, right? <laughs> no, you did not. Cut that out. <laughs> um but the thing is, like, Matt has no question and no reason to question where Emma stands in relation to him. And that probably makes things with her that much easier. Like, he goes to the extent of saying that he feels safe when he's with Emma. And yeah. this is the thing where, like, we talk about it with Abby when, like, she's on screen with Matt and her charisma and their charisma together just pops, right? Yeah. It's the same thing here where Matt and Emma really clearly feel a connection. The comedic beat that we're getting from Emma and the villain that we're getting of Abby, mm. probably the truth is somewhere more toward the centre. Yeah, that's true. It it just gives you a lot to think about, I think. Mm, and like mm. to reframe what you're being served, I guess, in terms of editing. It's right. just something to consider, I think, as like batchy lovers and to just, yeah. Connoisseurs. <laughs> and just to think about as we're watching. It's cocktail party time and we first get a confessional from Abby about how she's feeling confident that she will be getting a rose tonight. And then a confessional from Eleanor about how Sagand is stressing the fuck out. <laughs> I was sad because I wanted Abby to have another hilarious take on her outfit, which was good, last week yeah, was yeah. Catholic chic. But what would you I say this week? This week was just nice. <laughs> <laughs> Osha arrives to explain that tonight's party is one with a twist. Matt wants the women to come to him, but there will only be two opportunities for this to happen. He lays two date cards on the table. Danny's shaking her head already. And That's just a recipe for disaster. <laughs> he explains that there will also be the opportunity for one of the two date card women to earn a rose. The question is who will take the initiative and it's up to the women to decide who gets the time with Matt. Immediately, 
Sagand reaches out and takes a card and she seems to be endorsed by the other women in doing so. Mm. And then there's tension in terms of who else would get the card. Ellie is making a lot of noise about getting one, saying that there's something that she feels like she needs to say to Matt, and so is Abby. Abby says in confessional that she doesn't see why Ellie deserves it over her because Ellie has already had two single dates, and she says it's selfish and surprising. We'll hear Ellie describe Abby in a similar way in just a minute, but I wanted to first touch on Chelsea and Kristen, who also have the opportunity to fight for time with Matt, but are not shown to be doing it. This is why I was shaking my head because either way, it's not you're not going to be looked at favourably. If you grab it, oh, you've grabbed it. You've been quote-unquote selfish. Right. If you don't grab it, it's like, oh, you don't really actually care about Matt at all. Right. So what do you do? I guess so, so Gan grabbed it and she just had, had hers. Right. She's <laughs> <was just> clutching it. <laughs> Like the philosopher's like stone, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, the then it was like a debate among the other women, right? But what do you do? Do you join in on that debate and then, you know, be concerned that you, yeah, you look like you're putting yourself before others, or do you just sit back and let it happen? And then, it looks like you don't care, right? I think it's a really tough, tough one. And so, usual disclaimer here: like, it's possible that these women were fighting for time with Matt and we weren't shown it because the Abby and Ellie situation that was established last week is more compelling. Yeah, but right. we can only comment on what we're shown, right? Of course. So we hear Ellie explain to the girls that she's missed some opportunities to explain to Matt how she really feels. And in confessional, she says that she hopes the girls really understand and they are on her side. Ellie grabs the date card and next, we're in a negotiation between Abby and Ellie. Yeah, well, Abby actually was walking behind the back of the couch right. to come and grab it from the other side. Yeah. And then Ellie quickly grabbed it. In and front then of her. Abby was like, oh, okay, well, that's fine then. Yeah. Um, eventually, Ellie decides that Abby is deserving of the card. In confessional, she says that Abby can talk the talk and that she put Abby before herself. She says, why did I just give Abby that date card? I'm a bloody idiot. Why did you, Ellie? Right. Why did you do that? <laughs> this is so interesting. Like, I think this might be the most interesting scene of the season, Dan. And Yeah, I'm wondering if Ellie thought, like, this was some sort of test. Right. Like, similar to the, you know, the, the one where they had to rank themselves. Oh. But the very first one, mm. they all passed and got to sit down. The most selfless or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, I'm wondering if she thought it was a test, like, oh, actually, it's the people that didn't grab the card or, like, they let other women go before them. Right, right, yeah. I just don't see why else you would, why you would give that away because it's really down to, like, the why and now in terms of getting time with Matt. Right. I want to look at it from Ellie's perspective first. She is the objective front runner in this competition she is our well-loved country queen and mm. she's loved by the audience and by the women of the house. Mm. If we're to look at it as like a feudalism, by virtue of her perceived closeness with Matt, Ellie is the monarch, you know? She's the head of the table and she's the popular girl in high school who is ingratiated to everyone mm. because of her kindness. 
She's presented as the classic Myers-Briggs ISFJ. Warm, considerate, gentle, responsible, devoted caretaker who enjoys being helpful to others. <laughs> Sorry, at first I thought you were making another smog enough <laughs> <laughs> joke and I was like, good one. Very good. <laughs> and I realised yeah, you were near me. making <laughs> serious commentary. Very good point. Um, so it should be noted that if you are this kind of person, probably you're used to getting what you want through your ability to create social situations that benefit you, right? Like we see Ellie has done that here because all of the other women except for Abby are on her side in this argument. Yeah, but it's not Survivor. Like right. those women aren't choosing who gets to be with Matt forever. That's right. Instead, it's whoever has probably spent the most time with him or, you know, it can be can be down to that because – he might know that person the best. Right, right. And so uh, what is happening here, I think, is that Ellie has, like, kindness. And I don't think it's manipulative a- at all on her part, but, like, I think that she has kindness her way into being the the woman who has had the most time with Matt and also making the other women feel really, really comfortable with her getting more time with Matt ahead mm. of themselves. Yeah, right. You know, and I... I just I see that as like she's that type of personality where mm. you can make people feel really good and comforted and like oh well Ellie needs this so we should put Ellie before ourselves. Right. Are, are you saying that she was thinking that scenario would go that same way in terms of Abby relinquishing the card and then she has it still but it seems like everyone's agreed that she should have it. I think that everyone has agreed that she should have it except for Abby. You know, and even even the women who we were talking about, you know, Kristen and Chelsea, who didn't fight for time, and the rest of the women who have roses, like it, it it's this weird, um, like democratic process where Chelsea has just sort of like kindnessed her way to the top, and it's because of who she is, and because she's young and relatable and compassionate, and all of these things, mm. right? And it makes the other women feel comfortable that cool, this like monarch head of the house most popular woman in the house who has already spent far and away the most time with him definitely deserves to spend more time with him right it's really fascinating yeah it is fascinating unfortunately for her abby's playing by her own rules that's it you know like abby by contrast is an anarchist Mm. you know like what i mean by that is that she's really not playing by the rules of the other women and the conflict is that abby's seeing a situation in which the presumed front runner for Matt's heart has kindnessed her way into spending more time with him. And Abby's like, fuck that. I want that too. You know? Yeah. Like, and the other women are all like, but we like Ellie more than we like you. So. I see your point. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And so I think that like Abby is kind of rejecting the premise that we need to superimpose how you should act in real life onto this entirely unrealistic situation in which one man is dating 20 women. But I think Abby, like the very essence of her message is right Mm. in that she's not, for want of a better word, there to make friends. She's there for Matt. Yes. Yeah, I sort of see where you're coming from with that. And I agree, you know, like it's blurring the lines between determinism and chaos in doing so because obviously socially if one woman is playing by one set of rules and 19 women have decided that on this bizarre democratic um pseudo process yeah there will be friction but i keep coming back to like 
what if it was you? Like you specifically, Danny? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't always – I want to be clear. I don't always agree with the way that she articulates that right. message. Yes. But the essence of it is correct yeah. in that it's Matt that is the end goal. Right. So she's very focused on that end goal. Yeah. And so like I look at it as, as like um, if you, Danny, were The Bachelor and I, Max Quinn, was Abby. Right. I would be doing the same thing, right? Like, I don't know if it is smart f- in terms of, like, compromising interpersonal relationships and making your time in the house easier and articulating yourself in ways that might be questionable. But ultimately, if you're if you, Danny, mm-hmm. were The Bachelor, yeah. I, Max Quinn, would be doing everything in my power to spend time with you. Oh, that's so sweet. See how I <laughs> just sort of spun that back? You see, Thank I would like... All of, to cash in all of my brownie points, if that would be... Yeah, um, it's you a new can. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, though, there's also something worth noting in that all, she's been... That phrase has been kind of thrown around that she's not there for the right reasons. Would you agree? Like, Abby's right. kind of fell on, fallen under that umbrella this season of maybe s- someone who's not there for the right reasons. Yes. But actually, like, I think the way she's articulating herself seems quite raw to her like and to her right and really it's not a way that would endear yourself to kind of like can um to the population in terms of like getting fame from that like really she's focused on matt and like i said i don't agree with the way that she's articulated it sometimes because it can come across as like blunt exactly exactly um and we're different people but i think it kind of goes against everything that people are saying that she's not there for the right reasons because actually she's there for Matt and that's all she's saying. Right. And she's been on message about that and whether or not you like the way that she describes that, like that's kind of beside the point because she really very much does seem to be there for the right reasons. Exactly. You, you know, know, based on that discourse. Right. And it's sort of like um, if we're going to Myers-Briggs her as well, I would say <laughs> it's the one where it's like ESTP, you know, like outgoing action-oriented, pragmatic, skilled negotiator, nice, funny, lives to me. Uh, <laughs> Is this what you do when I go to sleep? You look up all of the, the Bachelor Briggs? women and, like, <laughs> and try to chart them on the Myers-Briggs questionnaire? <laughs> <laughs> but no, but like that's the thing. Like What we're hearing from Abby is our expressions of pretty pure pragmatism, don't you think? Like It's sort of like this is what my goal is. And we'll talk about, like, there's another thing where she does a little bit later where um, yeah. you sort of say hear her say, like, this is the objective and I am pursuing the objective. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you've just described everything I said in about 50 words <laughs> in, like, three <laughs> words. So what I'm trying to say is that pragmatism, that focus on the end goal, mm. whether or not you agree with how it's articulated or presented or edited, right? she is there for the right reasons Precisely. because she is just after Matt. And, and that, well, that's the whole point. That's mm-hmm. why we're all here today. That's why we're here. <laughs> Speaking of Matt, he arrives and sweeps again up for some alone time. Sorry, I'm just getting that's a glass good. of champagne. No, you can continue. <laughs> um, smartly, Sagand doesn't use this time to talk about Abby, but she also reveals a bit of a missed opportunity. She talks about how much she loved their first date, which at this point is weeks. Good Lord. Sorry. Keep going. Which at this point is weeks (laughs) and weeks ago. 
But this is news to Matt, who says in confessional, I'm not telepathic. I can't sense these things. Between this and between his chat with Emma, where he says, I feel safe and I know where I stand with you. I think that Matt's love language might be like straightforwardness. Yeah, it, that's not one of them though, is it? No. It's positive reinforcement. Yeah, I think maybe and maybe that's it, right? Like where I think that's the one. Let me you keep going and audience stay with him. I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll look it up on my phone. <laughs> you know, keep going, you're doing well, babe. Now it's Abby's time for a chat and she tells Matt that she fought for a date card as we get an interstitial from Sagand when she says, When you're up against Abby, it's not a fair game. Articulating pretty precisely the thing where we were talking about because Abby's not playing by the same rules. They're playing different games altogether. Yeah, I've got the five long love languages. Let's do it. Now. Okay. So, <laughs> um, it's words of affirmation, the right. one that you would be referencing. So they're receiving gifts, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service or devotion and physical touch. Right. Um, and so we're seeing pretty specifically that what Matt is responding to are words of affirmation because as the women individually cross that th- threshold mm-hmm. he's like oh you do like me okay yes. and it would be confusing on this tv show where you don't know who's here for what reason yeah but i guess to be fair like when you're dating in general you don't know what someone's intentions are at the very beginning that's true yeah and i guess he's been on one two dates with most of these women before he's going to quote unquote end up with them yeah, you know, I think it's some kudos to Matt there. He's getting by. He is. He's just getting by. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Abby says to Matt, I don't want to fall by the wayside. You are the most important thing in this experience and i do anything to make it work. Mm-hmm. Now we get a real bit of contrast because Ellie and Emma talk through how Abby must have something important to say to the Batchy. And we cut to scenes of Abby eating various cheeses and fruits with Matt. <laughs> no, no, just one fruit, raspberries. Raspberries. <laughs> but she's already said her important thing, right? Yeah, I mean, she said it. And then, like, if there's a cheese board, we're all having Fucking some cheese. Fucking A. Everybody loves cheese. Especially if, as she notes, the cheese board is different to the one that was out last week. I know that if I'm anywhere and there's a cheese board, everything else falls apart. Yes. <laughs> Up top. Cheese is a real cheese is my love language so <laughs> <laughs> yeah words of affirmation gifts grazing cheese. boards <laughs> <laughs> um so abby then returns to the group and she says she's really happy with how things went um and how she stands with matt and the fact that she got to eat some raspberries and cheese she says i got a fresh raspberry and that's all that really matters now, but, yes, you and I discussed this. Yes, because I like Abby. Yes, but for me, this is one of those times where I was kind of referencing where I felt like pe- perhaps it wasn't the best way to articulate a scenario. Right. But I think you made a really good point mm. because you were saying if you were in that situation, you probably would make a joke. But because you're concerned about rather coming back and saying, oh, my God, it was so lovely. We had the best time. Yeah, I'm in love with him and blah, 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 exactly, right? Exactly, which yeah. she has actually been criticised for doing before. Right. So this time she talked about the raspberries, which did look delicious, may I add. True. And so I'm actually – you you kind of talked to me around there because I actually agree with you there that you would probably try to just make a lighthearted joke. Yeah, like I would – 
I'd try and diffuse it, right? There's lots of tension mm-hmm. in the room. And I would just sort of be like, yeah, the cheese was sick. We chatted. It was great. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But instead, because these women are so invested in Matt and the outcome and in working out in their heads who is edging further to the finish line in this race that we're all running, Ellie does not appreciate this at all. No, the joke, I mean, the joke fell flat. Yeah. That happens to the best of us. It does, you know, and it also could be like you and I are similar, like you and I operate on a similar like wavelength when Mm -hmm. it comes to comedic beats and jokes Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. But how often are you in a social situation where you might make a joke that either not you've misread the room, Mm. but more like the people who you are talking to don't understand that what you are saying is facetious or sarcastic. That's my biggest struggle in life. Yeah. Is that I'm often asked, are you joking? Yes. Because my humour can be quite dry or sarcastic. Yeah. People don't understand whether I'm serious or not. Your humour's Catholic chic. (laughs) Not that anything I say is deliberately offensive. It's more the tone is like, I can't tell if you're joking right now or not. Right, right. And maybe, maybe the raspberry situation was one of those times where you kind of saying something a bit in a in a dry tone mm. for comedic effect but it falls very flat when you've All got you surrounded so by serious. people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so maybe it's that thing where a bit of self-editing is required, but also how do you self-edit when you are put in a position where like four women are hanging on your every word about the thing that just happened? Exactly. And yeah. I think for everyone there's like that scenario and the various tensions should be taken into consideration. Both the way the joke was delivered and right. the people receiving it are under a lot of pressure in this situation. Yes. Anyway, as Abby is being given a rose from Matt, Sagand gives us a great mixed metaphor. She says, I lost the battle and Abby won the race. <laughs> Now it's rose ceremony time and it is Sagand who is sent packing. Were you surprised, Danny? No. No, me neither. She was kind of, as much as she was like a little bit visible in these last couple of episodes, her, like the bulk and genesis of her attention with Abby was her driving storyline and it kind of dried up. Also the dancing. Also (laughs) the dancing. (laughs) Without music. I want to make that point once more for potential <laughs> contestants. BYO music. Sagand, is this you bringing your own music? Yep, I made that wow. on the spot. That was an example of what you can do <laughs> with inanimate objects and making sound. So Sagand got up and was like... <laughs> she had a loop pedal somewhere, really Tash Sultaned it. <laughs> Um, so Sagand is, uh, walked outside by Matt, which is a first for this season. And then Soggy goes on another scathing Abby confessional on the way out. I know. And that's the end of the episode. What do you think about Sagan's time in the house? I think that the assessment that was given by Laura and by Snez was pretty accurate. She lost herself to the drama that was happening in the house. And because... Particularly, she went on the first date and then 
we now if we now know that Matt's love language is words of affirmation, failed to affirm him or chase after him in any way. Mm-hmm. Mm, it kind of feels like a bit of a missed opportunity where she had this like big boom at the start and then slowly fell away and the only peaks for her in terms of storytelling were the way that she got involved with the show's like conflict. Yeah, right. Yeah. Did you know she's a civil engineer? I did not know that. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you, Vogue.com.au. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she's a, so her original batchy kind of description was that she's a civil engineer, loves family, friends, good food, sees herself married with it, children in 10 years. Fingers Ten cr- <laughs> years. Oh, Matt would not like that. Yeah, there's no. Th- that's no three to five. Um, but honestly, every time someone goes, I feel I really feel for them, and I, I really liked Sagant, and I was entertained by her. I am sad that yeah, that what I, I liked remember her of earlier her. in the season, like she came off exactly. as really cheeky, and it's one of those things where um, the show needed to have a beautiful and expressive first date, and Sagand was that, and it was really yeah. lovely, and she was kind and cute with him, and as we saw the like. Um, the mansion take its hold mm. maybe um some of the more unflattering characteristics of Sagan's personality were drawn out and unfortunately those were the only ones that were shown yes and yeah. like you said we can only comment on what we're shown true um but yeah i'm gonna miss her mm. um it's time to move on to the bachelor australia season seven episode 12 danny i'm wondering if you'd like to do the honors yeah i've been practicing the Bachelor, Season 7, Episode 12. Which country are we in? Oh, come on. You're going to pick up on that? <laughs> <laughs> Fine. I'll do it again. Here we go. The Bachelor, Australia, Season 7, Episode 12. Thank you, Danny. You're welcome. We begin with Matt looking suave behind the wheel of a product placement SUV on his way to pick up Eleanor for a date. Matt is curious about what Eleanor wants in a relationship and whether or not she can see herself with him in the future. We arrive somewhere. This is my first question. Like, where the fuck is this date taking place? I'm not sure. It looked like like a property somewhere. Yeah, someone's like, it could have been just like a producer's house out in the hills of Sydney. I don't know. We're it given... was like a decorated shed. Yeah. And then like the, the vision board, as we've coined it, was set up in front of that. Yeah. There was I had no context as to how far they'd driven in the car or what was going on. We don't know where we are, but it is spacious enough to accommodate a gigantic board in which Matt intends to ask Eleanor to plot out the next ten years of their relationship in Texter. Danny. Mm. This is fucked, right? Like this is a bad idea for almost any human being. I mean, it's a lot of pressure to put someone under. Like You've been we on were, one date with this person. Yeah, we were talking about, you know, we're quite committed, I would say, to sure. each other. yes. But even I don't know what we're going to be doing in three years' time. Right. There's just, there's just no way to tell. And year 10, like, and let's put that on camera. Exactly. And let's, like, with, write I assume it down. no oh. advance warning, right? <laughs> no, there's no way. Like, Eleanor arrives at this date and she's like, Cool. Okay. And she says, this is touching, but she also feels like there is a huge amount of pressure. Mm. Matt asks her questions like, are these things you've thought about at all? And how do you feel about travel and adventure? 
and Eleanor is clearly freaking out at being asked to plan out the next 10 years of her life on camera. Mm. She says it's scary. It's a lot of it's a lot to commit and then she's off walking with one of the show's producers. Yeah, I would probably rather skydive than <laughs> <laughs> take me back to last week. She so firstly, this happened really quick. Like this is all within the first act of the show. Yeah, but also this woman's just described how she struggles to open up. Like, right. why is this happening? This is, yeah, it feels like the wrong date for the wrong person. Like, if you brought Emma on this date, exactly. she'd be like, but where's your 3.5? Where's the thermometer? <laughs> <laughs> where's the thermometer? <laughs> All right. Where's um, the... <laughs> do we try again? No, I think that's funny. <sighs> so, Eleanor says to the... Produ- ah! <laughs> Karma. No. Instant karma, honey. <laughs> so Eleanor says to the producer, there's a lot of pressure on this. I can't. Are you? Sorry. Can you hear that? Yes. I'm so sorry. I was just Are having you? a snack. <laughs> Good Lord. There's no raspberries here. <laughs> okay. So Eleanor says to the producer, there's a lot of pressure on this. I can't. I need to get out of here. I can't do this. I can't. It really feels like emotions are running high in the house. Yeah. It feels like a little bit to me like she doesn't want to do this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it does speak to like as the, uh, as the show comes towards its close, mm. the pressure would be pretty intense, right? Like mm-hmm. you're all invested in this man to whatever degree. And, oh, fuck, especially if you're like Eleanor and you've got a fear of getting your heart broken. Of course, which she's described. Yeah. But also how, like, I'm wondering how often does something happen where someone feels uncomfortable but we don't see them with the producer. Like, do you Yeah, that's true. Like I don't know. Kristen last week with the airplane Well, we or did see that though. So I'm just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe oh, I'm that's wrong. True. Like maybe it does happen with other things. Yeah, the show's been breaking the fourth wall quite a bit in the last couple of years. But right, you're right in okay. that probably it would happen um, a little bit more than we are But shown. if it doesn't fit with the narrative, maybe we don't see it. I'm right, not sure. Right, exactly. Because it naturally lends itself to more drama in some situations than it would others. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden it's dark and we need to reset. Matt and Eleanor are sitting in the car and he says, you okay? And she says, yep. And we continue with the date as Matt worries in voiceover that he might have scared her away. Mm. Eleanor has her eyes closed and Matt claps his hands together and ta-da, it's the moon all luminous and gigantic hung precisely between two equal quadrants of accumulated star. It's important to note that this obviously isn't the actual moon. <laughs> you don't, you're not sure though. <laughs> it's hard to, I just, I can't imagine that it is, but Eleanor. I mean, they were, if they were that close to it, they would have right. had to have been on another planet. Uh, you're absolutely right. I, as someone who, without a scientific background. <laughs> no, I think it was I have an arts degree. Yeah, you know, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was beautiful. Uh, it was I beautiful. I loved it. Yeah. The moon and the stars. Mm. I loved that. I was excited. He's an astrophysicist. Oh, right. You're it saying all it. all fits. Yeah. 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 I still loved it. Mm. 
Eleanor still says that it's the most beautiful thing that she's ever seen. And just in case you were keeping a tally on the most beautiful things that Eleanor has ever seen, <laughs> last week on the show she said that the people doing gymnastics was the most beautiful thing that she's ever seen. <laughs> Danny, did Eleanor grow up in some kind of convent? <laughs> true it's like when we introduce you to a new thing and you're like i love it it's the best this is the best meal that i've ever eaten in my life i love that innocence yeah it kind of is beautiful uh also beautiful we're getting into a bath no i don't like it matt says are you keen to bathe and danny i'm just going to give you the floor i hated it i don't like the bath scenes the mud wrestling kind of scenes the sitting in water with someone else I mean like maybe I would share a bath with you but we're like really really close and even like we have a bath and we don't bathe together that's true but I just think it's I just think it's weird to sit that closely to someone in water I don't know like in water that's like just tepid that like everything is washing off you and into the water. You think it's a bit unhygienic? Yeah, because, like, I guess spas have, like, chlorine in them, mm. or, like, pools, spas. So it's, like, that's, like, getting rid of any bacteria. Um, but this is just, like, regular water. Yeah. What you said in the house while we were watching it was that they were bathing in their own filth. <laughs> <laughs> I just said that that's... that's that, yeah, I said that. <laughs> Regardless, this is beautifully shot and also beautifully scored. Like it's piano and strings, slow, emotive. It reminded me of almost like Randy Newman and Toy Story, the way these like mm. piano parts were put together with lots of diminished chords. And like this is the best score of the season. And I'll oh. say overall, this is the best music episode of the season. Yeah, right. I loved the date once it started, Right, to be honest, even not liking the bath scenes. Mm. It did look quite romantic. So they get to the point where Eleanor says, I really like you straight up. I do see you as someone I could fall in love with and it's a good little feeling. And this is a huge relief for Matt. He says, please keep talking to me. Please keep opening up. And <laughs> they start to make out inside the pool of their own germs. <laughs> It's the positive affirmation. Right, right. And so this is good for Eleanor, but also you were saying that uh, starting to open up about your feelings in a moonlit champagne bath is very different to planning out the next 10 years of your life. Yeah, I think like one-on-one, I'm sure the cameras didn't seem that close. Um, Yeah. And like it's dark, you've got champagne. He's not asking her to plot out the 10 years there. That's very, very different to the scenario that she was placed in earlier in the episode. It's a baby step rather than a 10-year leap. And that's really good. Exactly. Particularly for someone who struggles to open up. Yeah. Um, So much so, in fact, that we then get a confessional from Matt who is shirtless in front of our celestial backdrop and he says, hearing the way that Eleanor feels about me, let's just say I'm over the moon. Wink. I can't unsee it. You were like, my retinas. Yeah, it was too much. He's a hottie, but that was cheesy. I. And as someone who loves a cheese board, Danny. (laughs) Look, I could have done without it. Mm. 
We're back at the mansion for a conversation between Ellie and Emma in which Ellie reveals that she regrets giving Abby her date card at the last cocktail party. She plans mm-hmm. to spill the tea about how Abby rubs her up the wrong way at the next opportunity. Oh, it all no. gives way to a group date where the girls will be painting self-portraits at the behest of a drag queen called Art Simone. The idea uh, with Art Simone is that the women will be painting their inner drag queens and Art Simone is encouraging the women to be really vulnerable. Danny, are you picking up on a theme during these two episodes? Yeah. Be vulnerable. Yes. We get a confessional from Abby where she says, I'm planning to be really vulnerable today. Adding to the slew of pragmatic confessionals from her, like, I'd love to have kids in three to five years. And also, (laughs) I'm going to show Matt that I want to fight for him. (laughs) This is the, like, the pragmatism that we were talking about before, right? I love it. It's like someone has set the objective and she goes, okay, this is the task at hand and I will complete it. Of course. Yeah. And good on her because she gets... A lot of screen time for it because she perfectly encapsulates the scene every time. So next we get uh, Art Simone who says, you're in a queen could be a bitch. And I picked up on this. Yeah, you did. Talk to me about what happened. As she said that, the camera panned to Abby. It's very mean. Very mean. Painting begins and Matt and Abby get flirty over their objectively terrible art. Which is cute for both of them. I um, know, but again, yeah. everyone was upset that Abby sat right next to Matt. Right. But you, anyone could have sat there. That's right. I just think like you snooze, you lose. <laughs> there is an amount of that, right? <laughs> There's a reason why that rhymes. Yeah. Emma <laughs> says, I like him so much, I hate this. And Chelsea says, yeah, it's fucking hard. Do you know what's fucking hard? Getting in there and getting a seat, apparently. <laughs> All of a sudden... There's some drama with Chelsea who says, I'm Sorry. not. Please continue. <laughs> that was good. You're very funny. All of a sudden, there's some drama with Chelsea who says, I'm not the creative type, so opening up by drawing my feelings is not in my comfort zone. And this is where we really start to see some more of this intensity manifesting. I'm just excited because it seems like the people who didn't like the skydiving and now not liking Oh, the people who were like, I love skydiving. And I'm like, "Mm." yes, now this is your turn (laughs) to be uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, these girls are like super invested in Matt at this point. Um, And when they can't do a drawing of their inner queen that does them justice, all of a sudden there are tears and we're led away to a different room and we're seated on the knee of a drag queen who we've only just met. (laughs) And we're becoming increasingly (laughs) upset for reasons that I just can't understand. Art Simone has weirdly now become psychologist Art Simone as Chelsea sits on Simone's lap and receives a pep talk. You loved this. I love it. What? Why? Well, because I think that Simone realised that she was struggling and she sat her down for a pep talk. I think that's beautiful. I thought it was really weird. Oh, it's weird. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing is weird. Yeah, I guess so. You've just got to catch your... (laughs) For me, like, I'm uh, so accustomed to the process and so ready to, like, question everything that whenever something comes along that's, like, particularly questionable or, like, I (laughs) really don't understand it, those are the times that I make notes. Yeah, but you know me. I love everything. You're right. 
Um, so in confessional, Chelsea says that she is worried that if she opens up again and she is not good enough, she'll feel like crap again. She talks to psychologist Simone about how she's never felt good enough and how in previous relationships she was made to feel small and unimportant. It comes about in I know. a weird way, but you really feel for Chelsea here. I really feel for her. Yeah. Um, with She opened up a little bit last week about what has been going on for her in terms of connecting to Matt and yeah. maybe it being f- because of struggles she'd had in past relationships. And I just really feel for her. It feels like she was treated really poorly by an ex-partner. And it's very brave of her to talk about this on the TV. Exactly. And I think like, I don't know, I think Simone really lended an ear. Yeah. A beautifully coiffed (laughs) (laughs) ear. Ear. Now it is time for the reveal of the inner queens. Matt's is first. It's decent. But Emma says, it's gorgeous. It's so good. He has purple <laughs> lipstick on and there's glitter. Matt can pull anything off. Danny. I think... <laughs> I really think if Emma doesn't win and they offer <laughs> this painting, she would, <laughs> she would marry the painting. Oh... No, in a nice way. I know. Like. She'd be like, this painting is everything that I've ever wanted. <laughs> it's the most beautiful painting that I've ever seen. Now pass me the thermometer. Mm. Next is Ellie, and she has literally drawn her own earring. <laughs> we tweeted this out via uh, BOH pod, and it was first picked up by Lois McKenzie in the Batch and Bachelorette AU fans group. Danny, it's literally <laughs> her earring. Yeah, because I guess all those earrings are like, Inspired by Picasso. Like, right. I guess, like, the trend is called, like, Picasso earrings because they've kind of, like, that odd face. I mean, they've been done by, like, everyone. Right. Um, in terms of designers. But, like, I think J.W. Anderson had some. Right. Holly Ryan locally. It's, like, a face in an earring. Okay. But, like, so it makes sense. <laughs> that she would look at that and be like, I could do that. So maybe she was just inspired by Picasso. But, like, it was... Hilarious. Right. And what she does is like, it's quite beautiful, but it's so <laughs> sneaky. It's weird though. Yeah. It's not, a, like, wasn't it you're in a drag queen? Yeah, it doesn't fit the brief at all. And <laughs> drag queen Simone is very upset by this. Yeah, she was. <laughs> uh, we run through also Eleanor's Bratz doll. Um, <laughs> and then Kristen's self-portrait, which looks like the cover of Joanna Newsom's Why album, if you've ever seen that. No, but which one looked like Helga from Hey Arnold? That was maybe also... Oh, no. Do you know what? That was Abby um, (laughs) who just, instead of drawing her in a queen, drew her in a demon. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, The winner is Chelsea who draws her queen with rainbow hair and math symbol ears to show to her that there's more to her than meets the ear. (laughs) I loved that. That was so cool. Yeah, it was impressive. And Matt was impressed by it too. He whisks... Chelsea away to a batchy couch with lots of candles. And I love the scoring here too. So this might be like, yeah, the best music episode of the season. It really suits the mood. The intervals are like, um, it reminded me of The Legend of Zelda, which I don't know if you ever played that on Nintendo 64, but the way that the notes jumped up and how beautifully it stayed within the key, but it also kind of sounded a little bit different. I don't know. Um, Oh, that's really special. Yeah, and it transitioned also then into like something that was slow and delicate as Chelsea really 
began to open up. She says that she can see Matt fitting into her life and that she can see herself falling in love with Matt. And this is like tick, tick, tick as far as all the boxes and what we need from this scene. But it also kind of feels personal and intimate and I like them together and I think she's the winner. Really? Yes. Wow. I think that um, that was my call on on the first episode and I have kind of wavered from it, but I'm coming back around to this is the person who's going to win. Yeah, I guess for me, Ellie now has kind of slipped away. Yeah. <laughs> Just one week. <laughs> mm. You think Abby could win? Um, I think she could win, but I don't know. I'm pretty easily influenced, so now I just think Chelsea will win <laughs> <laughs> um, Now it's time for the cocktail party, and there's a bit of scene setting where the women are establishing who will talk to Matt in which order. We don't get to see this sort of thing a lot, and it is interesting, but mainly it's a setup for the drama to come. And the show right. will only sort of like give you an insight into the process if it benefits the broader narrative. And this is one of those times. Okay. So Ellie says, I might snag him first. And the other women are like, yeah, babes, whatever you need. We love you. Foot rub? <laughs> In confessional, Abby disagrees. She says, it's okay to be selfish. And to Chelsea and Eleanor, she reveals that she's going to perch herself like a cockatoo in prime position to grab Matt first. <laughs> did, she, did she say that? She says like a cockatoo. <laughs> True to form, Matt arrives exactly as expected on the balcony, approaching Abby, Eleanor and Chelsea first. Abby asks, do you want to have a chat? And they're headed to the pool deck. Now, Emma, Kristen and Ellie crack the fucking shits. Oh, goodness me. Ellie says that Abby is not respecting the agreement and that she knew this would happen. And Danny, you were like, if she knew this would happen, why wouldn't she say something? Yeah, if you knew it would happen, then get in there first. Right. I don't know what to say anymore. Like, how much can you blame someone else? That's exactly it, you know. Emma says Abby will mow down everyone to get her (laughs) own way. (laughs) Is she a tractor? (laughs) (laughs) And she continues to say that she does not give a shit about girl code. I want to talk... A little bit about Abby and about girl code because firstly, like... Don't look at me. I don't know what girl code means. I So this is the thing. Girl code to begin with is a bit dumb in this show, I yeah. think. Right? Like it's a, it's a strange concept because you're all dating the same man and so there inherently is no code for that. Exactly. And, and you've also signed an agreement that said you would do this. Right. So <laughs> it's hard right. to blame other people. And then secondly, I wonder how much Abby is considering the cameras here, right? Like, I think a real folly of reality TV is that villains are almost always better the first time around because they aren't considering the edit as heavily. You know what I'm saying? Like, Abby's really open and expressive and, like, authentic with the way that she's communicating with the camera because we're all the hero of our own story. Yeah, you gotcha. Know? And... It's like we were saying before, like you have faith that the representation of you on the show is not only going to be positive, it's going to portray you in the light in which you expect you are going to be portrayed. Yeah, for me, it's hard to say like, does Abby actually get prompted to talk about the other women as much as they talk about her or or not? Or is it just that we're not seeing it? Because 
at the moment it does seem like everyone's focused on Abby and Abby's focused on Matt. Right. But again, we can only we comment can only on what we're seeing. Exactly. Yeah. It's really hard. It's interesting. Like Alicia said um, when she was on the podcast a few weeks ago that oh, yeah. when all of this shit was going down with Ivan in Paradise, so her second time around being on the show, she knew to stay out of it. Really? Yeah, because like you know how that is going to be manipulated and portrayed on the TV show. So, if, like, you're prompted to discuss it, you just don't, and then there's nothing they can use? More or? like you separate yourself from that in, like, in person, and so the talking heads that you give are not opinionated, they're scene-setting, or, you know, I'm not trying to put words in anyone's mouth here, but no, you let no. Ivan, in that case, dig his own grave, and right. you step back from that and just let it happen. Yeah, gotcha. Right, wow. and whereas... Your first time on the show, maybe you aware. don't know to do that, right? Well, how would you know, though? Yeah. Because, like, before that, you're a viewer like us that's trusting that we're seeing a balanced account. Right. You know? Yeah, and uh, if you are a contestant on the show, you expect a balanced representation. Exactly. Next, we get the season's first interruption in weeks, accompanied by a Frankenbite quote from Ellie who says, it's time for her to pack her bags and go. <laughs> As in Ellie to pack her own bags or no, pack Abby's Abby. bags yeah. more? <laughs> it's time for Abby to pack her bags and go. Um, right. She approaches Matt and Abby and says, Matt, can I talk to you about something important? And it becomes pretty clear that the something important is to throw Abby under the bus as Ellie takes up the mantle held previously by Sagand and by Monique. I was about to say, it really feels like Ellie's going to go the way of Sagand yep. and Monique before her now. Yeah. Which is really sad. I know, right? She's becoming the person pushing the drama forward. And I want to throw back to Sam Wood in the previous episode. He said that Snezh stayed out of the drama and that's part of why he knew that she was the one. And I'm going to go as far as to rule Ellie out as the winner right here and right now. Yeah. So for me, that's Chelsea. Yes, me too. Right? right? She's the only one that stayed out of it altogether. I think it's Chelsea and we also then get a confessional from Eleanor who says, I'm staying out of the drama. I'm sitting back and watching it happen. So I'm going to give you a revised final two. Oh, who are they? Eleanor and Chelsea. What do you think of that? Wow. Yeah, well, I mean, if what the Bachelor royalty mm -hmm. said was meant to foreground the winner, then definitely they're the only two that have basically completely stayed out of it right. and altogether. So Yes, we see um, the two women bring back Eleanor and we also see that Chelsea has stayed right out of the drama and is concentrating on her own thing, which is opening up to Matt and being vulnerable and sharing their science connection. Wow, there you go. That's what I think. The two of them win. That's it. That's the end. Thanks for joining <laughs> us for another episode. There's also some really funny stuff with Matt's suit jacket here. Abby oh, is wearing the jacket. Is weird. It's so funny. So Abby's wearing the jacket when she's chatting with Matt because it must be getting colder at this point in filming. And she gives it back at the end of their chat. And then as that we enter the next setting for Matt and Ellie to have their chat, Ellie's like, oh, I'm cold. And Matt's like, do you want the... And before he can even finish, Ellie's like, no, I do not want the jacket. <laughs> it's touched Abby. <laughs> <laughs> I would have kept the jacket because oversized blazers are pretty in right now. Right. Yeah, me too. Like yeah. men that kind of like oversized boyfriend style blazer is like really cool. Mm -hmm. So anyway. Snooze you lose. <laughs> you snooze you lose. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Ellie then tells on Abby, and it's the usual stuff, right? She's not ready for marriage and kids in Melbourne. She's not emotionally mature. She's privately actually unwilling to cop the foot juice. And <laughs> Matt is like... Stop saying that. It's <laughs> disgusting. Is it impacting your ability to find love in the yeah, house? Yeah, it's impacting my ability to find love in the hotel room. Uh uh, Matt is like, are you ready for all of those things? And Ellie is like, yes, Matt, give me your foot right now. I'm so ready. Oh, nobody said any of those things, did they? No. Can we phase out the phrase? <laughs> foot juice? Yeah. It's my favourite. Oh, okay. You can keep it then. The thing that these women keep saying is that we're going to see Abby for who she really is. Yes. Thank you. Perfect segue into my opinion. Great. What? Who is she really? Right. Like, I do not understand what is she doing behind closed doors that could be this bad. Right. We're not being shown anything to suggest that she's anything other than a pragmatist who is falling in love with The Bachelor. Like, is it the self-editing thing? Did she rub people up the, way, up the wrong way that considerably when she's like, and then we did this and then we kissed again and then we did this and then we kissed again? But Would that as, be it? But as an adult woman... How much can you really be affected by someone else's behavior? Right. Like at this point in my life, I'm like, I'm not going to like everyone. Right. People do things that are going to annoy me. You just ignore it. Right. Like I don't understand how, yeah, but like you don't let it affect your own behavior. Right. And I don't understand like what could Abby be doing? That is so bad. I want to. I want to know. Call in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're still. Did you set up that phone, phone number? Line, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, I just. I. It, I'm baffled. And it's not like this is the Big Brother house, right? Like the cameras aren't <laughs> on twenty four seven, and you're also not forced to interact with these other women twenty four seven. Yeah, exactly. Chelsea brought her chemistry textbook in case she had to talk to <laughs> <Yeah>. the women. <laughs> That's so sweet. Yeah, I don't know. I just again. For me, it comes back to these things that are thrown around. Like, I can't wait for Matt to see who Abby really is. Yeah. It's who is she? Scathing against you. I don't know. Is her name not Abby? <laughs> We're going to get to the end of the season and it's going to be like um, the great reveal of um, Kang and Kodos in The Simpsons where they pull off their human suits <laughs> and they're actual yeah. aliens. <laughs> yeah. Next, Emma takes Abby to task for skipping the queue. And Abby is sympathetic in the conversation, but in confessional says, I'm here for Matt. I'm not here for Ellie. It's fair, right? Well, it's just true. Yeah. And you shouldn't be caught up with what other women are doing. Right. If you're on this show, if you're Abby. Yes. You really have to focus on the end goal. Yeah. Um, But this is not what we're meant to think. But this is not what the show wants us to see, right? And I think it's important to draw that distinction because what we're supposed to see is... Golden girl Ellie, struth, blimey bugger, here's your baby who my dad loves, (laughs) is finally stepping up to make it known to Matt that this Abby girl, ooh, she no good. I know, but, like, it's lovely to make friends. Yeah. It really is. But in on this particular – in this particular scenario, on this particular platform, that is not the end result. And if you get distracted by what other people are doing – you could miss the opportunity to end up with The Bachelor. Exactly, yeah, and that's pretty much how it's going to play out. Ellie and Abby sit down and Kristen is also there sitting to the side giving Abby the most evil stare that I have ever seen. 
Did you cop this stare from Kristen? Stop asking me to cop things. <laughs> I don't like. <laughs> I don't like that phrase. Did, did you get a load of what Kristen was doing? Thank you. No, I missed this. I'm it glad was you this. Ready? It up. Yeah. Max is staring at me intently and looking at my every move. <laughs> He's coming closer. He's looking angry. <laughs> I missed that. Did she do all that? Yeah, she did that with her face. It was really weird. Oh. So then Ellie next burrs up at Abby over not showing her the same respect that Ellie showed Abby last week, accusing Abby of stomping all over everyone. And it's intercut by this confessional from Abby. Why would I send Matt over to you when we are all in competition to fall in love with this man over a stupid, arbitrary line that we made up in an effort to be diplomatic. It is ridiculous. It was so well said. It was yeah. exactly what I was thinking. But again, I made this comparison earlier in this particular episode of the podcast. Like, it's not Survivor. So for those who don't know, Survivor, you and the people that you're on the show with end up as the jury. Right. They're the ones sitting between you and the million dollars at the end. So you've got to be very careful about how you end up the final person sitting there because they then have the power to take away that's it the you can't be an asshole. exactly in this show that's not the case it or, doesn't matter so it doesn't matter they're not on the jury they don't get to decide whether abby deserves matt or not or any of the wo- women for that matter right it so i don't understand this constant judgment about other people's behaviors when really like sure it might not be what you or i would do or say but does that really make it that bad? Does it matter? Exactly. And does it constitute the s- sort of phrases like, oh, you just have to wait until Matt sees the real Abby? Right, exactly. You know, it's like um, on Nick Vile seasons of the US Bachelor. So Nick came second in The Bachelorette in two consecutive seasons and he was the villain both times. Right. And the vibe was like everyone hated him, but he just had an end goal and it was the person who he wanted to end up with, you yep. know? Yeah. And it's the same kind of thing. Nick went on to be The Bachelor and it was a really, really good one. Wow, yeah. You know, these are people who are like smart and know what they want and I don't think you can punish them for that. I'm calling it now. Right. If Abby doesn't win, Abby for Bachelorette. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know how the... <laughs> how would good be, would she be? She would be really good and yeah. it would be good casting on the show's behalf for next year. I think that's a really interesting idea. You Thank know, you. there's um, certainly some redeeming that the show would have to do because they have betrayed her in such a way. Yeah, right. But at the same time, like, that's also the sort of thing that would make the audience interested in tuning in. Mm. You know, this person who has been kind of controversial, um, but certainly rigid in her pursuit of love yeah. and unflinching exactly it would be it, like i think that would make a really compelling season of the bachelor um i if i were abby i would hope that she hasn't agreed to paradise just on an interpersonal level because you'd be subjecting yourself to more conflict yeah they're just going to carry it's easy f- to carry over that same exactly. narrative whereas it's much harder to do that into like the bachelorette yeah. when we're supposed to be hunt be behind that person hoping them that they'll find love 100 percent. finally mercifully it is time for the rose ceremony osha arrives in a suave blue suede suit and whispers that there are only three roses for four vulnerable women (laughs) 
it comes down to Kristen and Abby, and Abby is chosen to receive the rose. Mm. Thus, Kristen is sent home with a thorough under-edit for a final six contestant. She seems, like, cool, you know? Um, what we got from her was one date on the TV and a bunch of joke confessionals in Mandarin, and I'm disappointed by that. I wanted to see more from Kristen. Yeah, another thing she said... Um, in her po- like her exit interview interview with Vogue was that she had a lot of intimate moments with Matt that weren't shown. Right. Yeah, which so was interesting. This is something that Xavier and I talked about a few weeks ago where Kristen's um, coffee scrubbing date with that, Matt. Yeah, that was... That was full on. It and was full on. And it was leave a few weeks later. That is surprising. Yeah. And it was like fun and cute. But what we weren't shown on the back half of that date was the batchy couch thing that we get with everyone else. Mm. You know, and apparently she also, according to this interview, had some extra one-on-one time. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels like the love story that was there was essentially cut for time because she came sixth. Yeah. yeah. I, I get that too. Yeah. And that's it for this episode as we point towards next week. I'm excited. Oh, boy. The hugging experiment. The hugging experiment sure seems like it's definitely going to be the headline (laughs) of the episode. (laughs) And it's sure as shit not going to be us banging on this same drum about (laughs) the manufactured conflict that's happening in the house. No, it doesn't seem like that will happen again. No, (laughs) there's no part of it that is going to be anyone determining and arbitrating who's here for the right reasons or not and social media (laughs) jumping on board and criticising this poor woman. Exactly. Now... Is it time to get back to our date night? <laughs> I think it is time for you and I to get back to our own date night. And Danny, guess what? What? We're going skydiving. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's it for another week on the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. You can find us at BOH Pod everywhere that you would look for us. Uh, we did come here to make friends. Leave us a rating and a review if you love us on the internet. <laughs> That'll do us. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Searching for a sign